Okay, we're going to get started. Hopefully, just like last week, you have two important things in front of you. You've got your notes. It says week two from complacent to curious. And you've got your feedback card. Does everybody have both of those things? If you need one, lift up your hand. If you need a card, need a study guide. I think, Ashley, are there ones, are there week ones up there as well? There are, if you need them from last week, there's a few extra from last week as well. And, and do just remember that if you miss a week, you can go to our podcast page wherever you get your podcasts and you can find these under our midweek studies and you can catch up. Um, and I think, Blake, are our PDFs on the, with the podcast are on the website or not? Yes, they are. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting thumbs up. So you can also find the study notes there as well. So man, y'all asked some really, really, really good questions. But uh, I wanted to, I want to start with just a couple of little announcements Miss Haley Chapman, where you at? Right there. Haley's got a fun little booth in the back as you walked in, and uh, and it's a, a spot where we are trying to make sure that everybody's information in our uh, church community builder system is correct, and where we have your wonderful picture. And so, if you have a blank photo and Miss Haley says, "Hey, come over here. Let me take your photo." That's what it's for. Uh, and then that's in the back. And if you uh, are not yet in our system or you have not been getting emails for some reason, uh, check back there and uh, and up, make sure that your email and your uh, your phone number and everything are correct. So uh, there is that. And then remember from last week. So I realized I didn't tell you this. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you this in week one. Remember I had you write down the names of people in your different spheres of influence? Remember we did that exercise at the very beginning? I, I had you do that on week one's notes. So you may have not brought that with you today, and that is my bad. But if you can, just sometime while I'm rambling on in this introduction, you just write down those, those names. We need those names every week. So here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be at the end of every week. What we're going to be doing is spending a few minutes uh, in prayer for those specific people. And I want us at the end of every week to be praying for people by name. And uh, so have that list in, in front of you if you can. Um, the other thing I want you doing with that list is as we go through these different thresholds, I want you thinking about the kinds of conversations that you're having with people. So think about, you know, I, I, we said just different places that you go, maybe places that you live, places that you work, places where you play, hobbies, whatever. You're having conversations with people. And as you're having those conversations, as you're getting to know people, I want you to start thinking through kind of, okay, maybe based on these conversations, what, what threshold might they be in? Where might they be in this process? I want you starting to think about that, taking notes, because the whole point is that as we start to understand where people are, we can minister to them um, in, that, in that space. So jot down some notes. If you've got that list of names, jot down some notes. Maybe somebody is in the trust building phase from last week and you go, that's exactly where that is. Man, make a note by that person's name and so that you can pray into building trust with that person. So be thinking about that uh, as, we, as we continue to, uh, to go on. But last week, I'll just give you a quick, quick review. This is, uh, this is the first uh, section on your notes. We talked about uh, trusting a Christian. We also talked about the process. We talked about the process. Uh, we're going through a book right now where, where uh, just a bunch of people have been interviewed on, on the process 
that they went through as they came to follow Jesus. And, um, and all these different interviews have been compiled and different phases, different moments in that process have been identified. And that's what we're studying. Just what does it look like for people on their journey as they uh, discover and follow Jesus, to use some of the language that, uh, that we do. But the thing that we said last week that I want to stress again this week is that we're not learning a system, we're not learning an equation. We're not learning a, a system and an equation that if we'll just take people through this the right way, then they'll end up uh, following Jesus. That's not it at all. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that somebody comes to surrender their life to Jesus because uh, of a work of God in their lives, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit spirit as he reveals uh, who Jesus is, who reveals uh, somebody's need for uh, him and he draws them to himself. And that's the, that's the process and it's mysterious, but it's something that God does. It's important that we realize that, that God uses us in that process and we talked a lot about that. And in order for God to use us, we've got to be locked into where people are, uh, what, what's going on in their life, the questions that they're asking and, um, and be available uh, to God to use us. But this is not a system. And this is not an equation. So don't be frustrated if you're going, man, I got them through that trust building phase and they're not yet curious, you know, and I got them through curiosity and they're not seeking yet. Like this is not your job to push them through a system. We're partnering with God in something that God is doing and asking God to use us in the process. So that's huge to, to learn. Last week, just in summary, and there's some review notes there that you can uh, go through, but last week we just talked about the importance of, of building relationships. Uh, we live in a culture where there's a ton of skepticism, where there's a ton of relativism. We called it postmodernism. And some of you are like, I, I love this question. Some of you are gone, how can it be, if we're, if we're modern, how can this be postmodern? Um, it's not a way of describing time. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of, of describing a cultural moment. Um, and so we talked a lot about what, what, what does postmodernism mean? What are some of the ways that people are thinking um, and we, we talked about the need for genuine friendship. I love this, the quote from the book, relationships, genuine friendships are our currency. And so the first threshold, the first important thing for us to do, the first important thing that people have said on their way to following Jesus, this was really important, was just learning to trust a Christian. Uh, there are all sorts of preconceived notions that people have about who, about Christians, about what they believe, about what church is, um, and, th and those come from all sorts of different experiences and places, things that you're not even uh, aware of, and they have formed a skepticism and a belief about who you are and what you believe. It's not personal, it's just what they believe, and so there's a guardedness that's kind of present um, in our culture that says, well, it's fine for you to believe what you believe, but I'm just going to be okay believing what, what I believe, and we don't have to really worry about one another. And so in that kind of environment, it's key for us to primarily, uh, at the beginning of a relationship, be building trust and friendship. So we talked about what are some elements in doing that. Those are The review is there, and again, you can go back in the notes. How do I just build genuine friendship? Um, and so I want to go into some of your questions. You guys had some really, 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 uh, really good questions from, uh, from last week. And so I want to try to go through those. We did this in our faith and sexuality study. Um, and I thought the Q&A part was really good. I thought it was helpful for me to hear what, what you guys were thinking and what you were processing. And so I'm going to try to do these really quickly. What we've done is we've taken all of your questions and we've tried to group them and ask one question that represents several that have been asked. So if your specific question doesn't come up, just know hopefully it's represented in here somewhere. Uh, but I'm going to go through these uh, sort of quick. And again, as you're, we're going through tonight, if you have a question that pops up, 
on, the, on one side of that little follow-up sheet, write it down. We want to hear what your questions, uh, questions are. Students, that's for you. That's for everybody. We want to know what your questions are. So the first one, how can I go about building a relationship with others that moves them towards salvation when I myself and, um, and am unsure where I stand in my own relationship uh, with Christ? What if I'm the one discovering who God is in the gospel and I'm here in this study we're so glad you're here. Um, that's actually really, really, really great. And what I would say is, uh, please, 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 if you're in that space where you're kind of going, I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is. I'm not, you know, you're telling me about leading someone to Jesus, and I'm not quite sure who Jesus is. This is a really good time for you. If you're here, you're probably somewhat curious. I would really encourage a, uh, a conversation with a, with a Christian. I would really encourage you to sit down, and I would be happy to do that. Any of our staff would be happy to sit down with you and just kind of hear where you're at, hear your story. Um, it's a, that's a great spot uh, to be, and I would tell you, pull me aside sometime tonight. Just kind of grab my shirt and say, hey, hey, that was, that was me. Uh, that was me, or I've got questions, or uh, whatever. If that applies to you, let's have a conversation. That's the best way, uh, that's the best place to go uh, from here. We'd love to talk about that. How do I personally handle hurt or failure in relational evangelism? Do I keep going back, and when do I call it quits? Um, first of all, I would say be careful what you call failure. A lot of times what feels like failure in those moments is not actually uh, failure. You might be reading the situation completely wrong, or you might be reading it right. Someone might have a negative response to you sharing your faith, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing happening. Just because you might have a negative experience or somebody might respond to you in a way that feels negative, that does not mean that that's a total closed door, that they haven't heard anything, that no truth um, has been received, or that they don't know that you care for them and love them. I heard a pastor one time say that, uh, that people always remember, I've just adopted this, I use this all the time, people always remember where they're loved. And if you have taken the time to build genuine friendship and genuinely love somebody and, and give of yourself, sacrifice yourself for them, whether they reject you in the moment or not, um, it, I wouldn't worry as much about that. There may be a day where there will be an opening in their heart, and they, I promise you, they will remember where they're loved. And that, on that day, you may be the one that they come back to. So don't judge failure yet. That would be the, that would be the first thing. Uh, and, then, and then the other thing is, if they just say, like, if it's just enough, and they've pushed you out the door, and they just want to keep you at arm's length, don't be weird. <laughs> don't, don't, like, refuse that answer and go, no, 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 we're having this conversation. Because I promise you, you can ruin that trust and then eliminate yourself from the conversation. So what I would say in that moment, when it is obvious someone does not want, they want to keep you at arm's length, stay in the place where they've allowed you to be. If they've pushed you this far away, be happy there, but serve them there. Don't see that as failure, but if they pushed you at arm's length, serve them at arm's length. And on the day where they come calling and, or some, there may be crisis or something that happens in their life and they may give you a couple more inches, then respect them and move into that, move into that space. But if you try to bulldoze through that space, you are going to sever relationship probably for, uh, for a long time. So what do I do if I'm not surrounded by people uh, who do not know the Lord? Um, okay. That's almost impossible. Uh, I think we think that way a lot, particularly in where we are, in our location, in Nacogdoches in 2023. It feels like everybody's a Christian. But let me just say this. You, regardless of where you go in this community, you are surrounded by a lot of lostness. 
And that lostness may be dressed up as Christianity. It may come off as Christianity because it agrees with a Christian moral ethic or it might even be a church goer. You know, it might look Christian on the outside, but I promise you there is lots of lostness in our community. Um, and, it, and it doesn't always look like lostness in other places, uh, but, but there is lostness here. So that's the first thing I would say is don't assume that just because you're in a Christian context um, it, where there is gospel saturation that you're not around lostness. Look, look deeper because uh, it may be there and you may just not be aware of it. Um, also, that said, it is good to evaluate where are places that I go frequently because there may be, there may be places that I go frequently. Like, where do you get your coffee in the morning? Where, what restaurants do you go to the most often? I'm thinking of all food things. But, like, what, what sports do your kids play? What, who do you work with? I mean, think deeper uh, in, the, in terms of the places that you go. I promise you there is lostness somewhere you're going, and it may just be about opening your eyes to frequent spaces you go, and where can I engage somebody in a friendship in a place that I'm already going? Um, so, so, think that, so think that through. Get, get your eyes open in the places that you already go and try and look uh, for it. How can I leave behind that fear or introverted behavior? Ooh, that question hits in my soul. You guys know me well enough to know. Um, let me just say there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. Um, introverts won't amen out loud, but they're all amening in their, in their uh, insides, very, very insides. Um, but, but listen, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. Somebody explained this to me one time that everybody's like a Lego, and you know every Lego has a certain amount of dots on it, and extroverts just have a lot of dots. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of, they can handle a lot of different connections. Introverts, I'm just like, I'm that one leg, I'm that like the top of the tower, you know, that little Lego that has the one dot on it? I'm the one dot Lego. Um, don't worry about how many dots, okay? Don't, don't worry about introvert, extrovert. Being able to share the gospel in a relational context is not exclusive to one personality type. If you are an introvert, that's totally Okay. Um, an introvert can share the gospel. You, in a lot of ways, I want to say to this question, man, you, you be you and know that God is not put off by that or restricted by that, that God can use all sorts of different personality types to share um, the gospel. So don't worry about switching, you know, having to be an extrovert to share the gospel. Go deep where you can go deep. That's what I would say. Go deep where you can go deep. And then the fear thing, that's a good question. Fear is... Um, Fear's not always bad. Fear is, is actually a sign that there's something at risk. You know, if you're, uh, if you're in the street and a car's coming and you have that burst of fear and you run out of the way of the car, that's a good thing, right? Because what that fear told you is there's something at risk. It's your life and you need to move out of the way of the oncoming vehicle, right? So, the, so the fear prompts, prompts some action. When, we've, when we experience fear in relationships, it's because relationships require risk. If, you're, if there's no fear at all and there's no risk at all in a relationship, I would really kind of ask you questions about how much is this really a relationship? You know, how much, how much are we really giving of ourselves? If there's nothing to risk here, what kind of depth of relationship could that be? So that fear is okay. Some of that just nervousness is just because being vulnerable and being in a relationship with somebody is risky. And, and, and that's okay. But the other thing I would say is, we talked about this last week, we always play the away games, right? We always play the away games because 
that some of that fear is based in rejection. If I'm going to pursue a friend, friendship, if I'm going to kind of go for it with this person, what happens if they don't receive me well or they reject the message that I have? Here's the deal. You can be rejected all day long by people. We are not, though, people that are ultimately rejected. We can play away games because we are people that are ultimately secure. Because in Christ Jesus, we always belong and we always have a home. There is no place, no corner of the earth that we can go where we are not secure, where we do not belong to him and belong to a family of, of believers. And so that's why it's, it's good for us and necessary for us to risk it in relationship uh, because we're always safe. We always, we always belong. So some of that fear, you just have to kind of, you have to say to that fear that even if man rejects me, I'm secure and belong in the Lord. And, uh, and that's, I think that's that first step in kind of moving uh, beyond that fear. Uh, what can we do uh, when, while we form these friendships, um, their current behaviors and habits become ours? How do we protect ourselves from uh, affirming an unhealthy lifestyle? So I think what's in this question is, you know, we talked about embedding ourselves in relationship and friendship, but what happens if, if, uh, non-kingdom things start rubbing off on us and we start doing those things. Um, yeah, we don't want to do that. We, we, we absolutely don't want to do that. We, we want to, uh, our words from last week are, we, we want to affirm, but affirming, all affirming is talking about is acknowledging that where they're coming from is, is, is real. You know, it's just, it's honoring their story, where they're coming from, what they're struggling with. Uh, affirming is just taking seriously where the person is. What we don't want to do is we don't want to think that in order to build trust, I have to become like them because we're going to lose the most potent weapon that we have, which is that we live according to a totally different worldview, a totally different system of belief. And part of what we're going to talk about today, them even becoming curious is when people watch you live in a very different way and it peaks curiosity. Why do you respond to grief the way that you're responding to grief? Why, why, do you, um, why do you give your time to serve the poor? Why do you give your money the way you give? Why do you spend the money? Why do you parent the way you parent? Why did you correct your kid the way you did? You know, those sorts of things. Us being different is actually uh, one, of, one of our greatest weapons. It challenges other worldviews just by us living differently. So, so we don't want to think that to build trust, I have to, I have to go all in and begin to live like the world. That, and the, 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 this question asks, like, how do I avoid that? I think the, the best tool to avoid that is having solid Christian community around you. People that are following Jesus, that are close around you, that know the battlegrounds that you, in, that you are in, that know, hey, I'm, man, I am, I am really trying to serve these people in my life and, um, and I need strength to do that. They're praying for you as you are sharing your faith with others. If you don't have solid Christian community around you, praying for you as you, um, as you go out and, and share uh, the gospel, then I think it is easy for us to get drawn into um, so, some things that, that, we, that we probably shouldn't. Okay, um, once you've built trust... Nope, not that one, sorry. We should not abandon logic and reason within building a friendship, should we? You guys heard me harp on logic and reason a little bit. I wasn't harping on logic and reason because those things in and of themselves are bad. Logic and reason are really good things. Um, and we can have uh, really good conversations, biblical conversations, full of logic and reason. 
the point last week was, and, we, and so I'm saying we should not abandon those, that the pursuit of friendship does not mean that we abandon logic and reason. What I was saying, though, is that logic and reason are not going to be as useful a tools if they're not used within the context of friendship. They're going to be harder tools to use if there's no friendship that kind of surrounds those kinds of conversations. If you just go up to a stranger and want to get into a logic-based argument to convince them about faith, that's just not going to work as well in this culture as it used to work in previous ones. So it's not that logic and reason are bad. It's just that it needs the housing of relationship and friendship in order to really be genuine, okay? That's a really, that's a really good question. Those things are important. What questions can you ask someone who is deconstructing their faith? So what if they're in this deconstruction? Um, this isn't super close to the topic we're trying to cover, but I want to answer this real fast. The only thing I would say there is don't be afraid to ask hard questions. Don't be afraid to ask challenging questions. Don't do it in an argumentative or combative way. So if someone that you're ministering to is saying, is, is they, were, they go, man, I grew up in the church. I used to be Christian. I'm not really anymore, and I just don't know if I believe that stuff anymore. If that's the kind of person that you're ministering to, um, then, then don't, be, don't feel like you can't uh, have challenging questions and conversations. I think a lot of times we think that to challenge is to disrespect. You know, we just got to leave everybody alone. Everybody's good. You know, that's that postmodernism thing. You're good like you. I'm good like me. But we can't do that. We, it's a, if somebody is in a, in a deconstruction, they're asking all sorts of hard questions. And it's good for people that they know love them to shoot holes in some of their arguments, to kind of say, yeah, you're saying this, but what if it could really be maybe this way? It's okay to ask challenging questions. As long as you don't do that in a combative and disrespectful way, if you do that in a context of friendship, then I think that's one of the best things that we can do with someone in those moments is be honest and ask challenging questions from a position of like, I'm in this journey with you. Um, maybe you're not seeing it right. Maybe, maybe you need to think about this perspective or that perspective. Okay, I'm cruising through my time here. Let me go to one more What would you say to those who would argue that door knocking and street evangelism is efficient, at least in planting uh, and planting seeds? So, is it is it efficient in, in planting seeds? I think so. I don't. I'm not. I wasn't saying that knocking on doors and just going. I mean, we do that. If you if you have been with us for any amount of time, you know we go knock on the doors of our neighbors. Now, what are we doing? What are we trying to build there when we do that? We're trying to build relationship. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with uh, what, what's referred to in your question. You put street evangelism. If, if we want to label it that way, there's nothing wrong with it. Can it plant seeds? Sure. And I think that there, there is certainly a, uh, a place for it. I would just say it's not a good strategy to stand all by itself uh, for us reaching our community. It's going to fall short if, that, if, if we go, okay, we're going to reach our community. So we're just going to go knock on random doors and and share the gospel. We're not going to build a relationship. If that's our only strategy, I think we're going to fall short in our community. But does it have a place? Certainly. And can it plant seeds? Absolutely. There's probably some of us in this room that, that, that part of their process was initiated by a stranger, um, a, a conversation with a stranger. So, okay, I'm going to get to the notes. Y'all ready to get into the notes? All right, here we go. We're going to talk about the second threshold. I've got six minutes to do this, John. Y'all ready? Speed notes here. All right, we're going to start on bullet point two there. Uh, 
Does somebody know, can, I keep messing this up. Does somebody just in the academic field, can you tell me what I'm supposed to say? Is that one or two or double I? Somebody, what? It, just say two? Okay, thank you. I feel, I feel like an idiot up here when I'm like, I, yeah, like it's like the IV. I'll say, oh, it's IV. And it's like, no, I just say four. I don't, thank you. Point number two. I need you guys so bad. Point number two. So this is the threshold from complacency to becoming curious. A lot of times as we're building friendship, the place that someone's going to be in terms of spiritual questions is going to be in a place of complacency. It's not really something that they're thinking deeply about. Not to say that they're not thinking about it at all, um, but it's probably not something that they're thinking deeply about or their, their worldview has just never been challenged. They, are, they might be thinking deeply about it, but they're thinking deeply about it in a vacuum where what they believe is just constantly being reinforced. It, it's, never really been, it's never really been challenged. Um, and so what we're doing is we're, t- we're talking about within the context of friendship, someone goes from being complacent to being intrigued. And this is a natural, this is a natural process. I, I love what it says, letter A there, that our souls and our minds are built by God to be curious, to ask questions until we've landed upon satisfying answers. So the move from complacent to curious isn't easy because let's be honest, complacency is easier, right? Complacency is way easier. Just here's my world, I'm gonna live in it. But it's natural in that God has wired us to seek out real answers. And where answers are unsatisfying, where, where things are unfulfilled, where something is missing, we're kind of wired to go, I need to fill in the blanks. I need to, I need to answer this question. So it is natural, but it's not easy. And it's important to know the difference between the two. So this is not a quick thing. So if you're building friendship, this, is, this, this uh, move isn't, isn't quick. It takes place over time. But I want to just go over kind of the three levels of what uh, this looks like because it builds. It takes a lot of time and it builds. So the first level of intensity when it comes to curiosity is just awareness. Okay, And this is the first time that somebody becomes aware of there being other options. This is maybe the first time that somebody has been friends with somebody who lives according to a different worldview, and they kind of start going, huh, that's a different way of doing things than maybe I've ever thought. That's a different way of seeing things than I've, than I've ever thought. But that's a really subtle move. That awareness, becoming just aware, is a really small shift, probably not one that in the context of a friendship you're even going to be able to observe. This one is a very hidden uh, thing that happens kind of within somebody, um, and you're probably not going to see it as they become aware. You are going to uh, you are going to see the next stage, though. You're going to see the next stage, which is uh, which is engagement. Now, this is a little bit more. This is letter uh, or number uh, letter B. This is a little bit more intense of a step in curiosity and. What they're going to do is they're going to move from kind of a passive state of curiosity to kind of going, hmm, Mia does things differently than I do. Um, but I'm not, it's not like I'm going to go, Mia, tell me why you, why do you do that? You know, that's, that's not happening. I'm just kind of, we're in a friendship and I'm just kind of watching her, observing maybe the way she treats her family or watching the way, you know, she serves kids at school or whatever. And I'm kind of going, that's interesting. That's different. Okay, so that's the beginning stage. The second stage of engagement um, is where, I'm going to start to be a little bit more active in my curiosity where I might ask some deeper level questions. I might ask the why behind 
what you're, what you're doing, behind what you're saying. I may, I may have questions about uh, the, the rituals and routines of your life. Like, why, why do you not uh, sleep in on Sunday? You know, why, why do you do this thing called Sunday school? What is Sunday school? You know, th- there's going to start to be some kind of entry-level uh, questions. For those of us that are in friendships, that's going to be kind of the first time that I would say you are going to notice that they have moved from a trust-building place. That's going to be an affirmation of trust. So it's a really good thing. People start asking you those questions. It's an affirmation of trust. And it's also a sign that they're starting to become aware and curious about um, some, different, some different options. And then, and this one's really exciting. When you get to this stage, this is exciting. Exchange. I want to read in John chapter 3. And you can make an argument that Nicodemus is in maybe a few different places on the, that we're going to go over. There's an interesting argument that maybe where we see him here is kind of in this exchange version of curiosity. Here's what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This is John 3, verse 1. Uh, a ruler of the Jews. And look at this, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi... We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what's Nicodemus been doing? He's been watching. He's been watching, and he's been doing some math. (laughs) In his head, he's been doing some math, and he's kind of going, okay, that's not normal. (laughs) I haven't seen that before. And so he's starting to, now Jesus, this conversation hasn't happened yet, right? He's doing this math, and where's that happening? It's an inward thing. Nicodemus is figuring this out, and then, but then he comes to this place of curiosity where he steps into an exchange with Jesus and kind of says, all right, what's the deal? <laughs> Why do you do that? What's going on here? Right? So do you see the, there's a higher level of intensity? And some would say it's a, it's a threshold that we're going to get to later that's seeking, but I think there's a really interesting case. He comes covertly. He doesn't want anybody to know. He comes at night and he kind of says, okay, I'm not quite sure about this. What are you doing? So that's a really exciting stage, uh, or a, a stage when someone's in the exchange. You're going to have a little bit higher level of, uh, of question. They're going to start to have dialogue between your worldview and their worldview. They're going to start to do some comparison, and some of your conversations are going to be conversations about the differences between the way that you do things. Okay, so there's an exchange. What's happening inside is there is a conversation and a dialogue internally, and they're going, here's my worldview and the way I've always seen things, the way I've always done things, and now here's this other thing that has been shown to me. And they're going to start having conversation between the two. And you're going to get invited into that conversation. Maybe. Maybe this is one of these relationships where you get invited into that conversation. So this is a really, this is an exciting stage. This is a moment where you kind of start getting a little excited where you, the trust thing has paid off. You're like, yes, we're having some good conversations. It's the, it's the beginning. Remember Nathan shared last week where he said, I never thought I'd be friends with Nathan Dutton. And Nathan went, okay. Like, we've built, we've built trust, and it's right after that, that that hopefully what's on the horizon is some conversations and some exchange. So John's going to help us out on what it looks like to, uh, to minister to somebody when they are in that stage with, on your notes, number four. Do you like how I did that? Okay, thank you very much. I'll be back later. If y'all could turn to number IV, that'd be perfect. Um, okay, so... Perfect. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how do we provoke curiosity within someone. So if 
if one of the goals is that they're going from complacent to curious, that there's some sort of journey that they're going on. Uh, you don't become curious by accident. There's some sort of, of moment where curiosity is sparked within you. And, and often when we evangelize, we don't think about provoking curiosity within them. We think about providing them information so they can have decisions. We think about, I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to tell you A, B, C, admit, believe, confess, and you're going to pray. But what we're actually wanting to do is slow down, acknowledge where they're at in the process, and, and acknowledge which stage they're in. While they're in that stage, you want to ask them questions that is provoking curiosity within them, which will allow their faith to be genuine from the beginning and not just something that you've, you've hand-fed them. So curiosity leads to genuine faith. So what is the goal? What we want to provoke an, in, an intrigue or an interest in Jesus. Um, too often, though, our goal isn't to pro provoke an intrigue in Jesus. Too often, our goal is to make sure that they like me, that they're intrigued by me. Uh, we, we say that they need to trust you, not love you. They need to love Jesus. They need to trust you and love Jesus. And, and so that's, that's the difference there. And so when the, with the motive when you're having these conversations is, am I helping you become curious about Jesus? So you got to center everything about Jesus. And so a lot of what we're doing is just taking things you already know and connecting some dots in your head. We're, we're building blocks that will prepare you for these deep relationships that you're going to have with these people. All right, so how do we talk about curiosity with our people? I want to take a quick look at some habits of Jesus real quick, and then we can take a look at how those habits of Jesus can play themselves out in our life. I think this is a great equation for so many things in life. How did Jesus do it? That ought to give us a roadmap to how we can do it. So Jesus provoked curiosity all the time. Uh, he did a couple things. He asked questions. Uh, I love this. I want to read it. Jesus asked 183 questions in the gospel, and he answered three of them straight on. But he asked 307 questions back. When people ask you questions, do you give them answers or do you help them become curious? Ask questions back. He asked questions to all kinds of people that people didn't expect it. He used parables. I love, the, I love parables because I think it weeds out those who are really interested and those who are just kind of sitting there playing. When you tell a story that has a deeper meaning with it, it will stick with someone. And that will have a more profound impact with them long term versus just you retelling information. Why do I know this? Because you can re recount stories from your life a lot easier than you can recount information from your past. Stories stick with us in a longer way. And Jesus knew that. And so if he wanted to provoke curiosity in his people, he had to do it by telling stories. Questions are often more powerful than answers. Provoke curiosity. What does Jesus also do? He lives curiously. So how does Jesus go about? He heals the sick. He talks a little frank with religious leaders. He goes to Samaria in John 4. Like he does things that you don't expect to do. That when people are looking at his life, they're curious. His own disciples were curious. He shows up and they go, what, what are you doing here? Why are you talking to them? Why are, you, why are you hanging out with children? Why are we eating at a tax collector's house? There's curiosity in the way that he lives his lives. So if we take these principles of how Jesus provoked curiosity and said, okay, how do we apply those to our own lives? Well, I think the first one goes back to Jesus asking questions. And I would say we need to ask intentional questions. Often we've prepared ourselves 
with cookie-cutter answers to give people who want to know about Jesus, but we have not prepared ourselves with a, a question bank that we can pull out of. So that when people come to us and they're sharing us where they're at and we're seeing where they're at in this process, okay, they're, they're moving a little bit from complacent. I think they trust me, but they're rather complacent. I want to help them become curious. What do we do? Well, we could just give them all the answers, quote the Romans road to them, or we can help them begin to think about God in a curious manner. And that's what we're wanting to do. And this actually takes more effort. It takes more effort for us to think about questions that will provoke curiosity. It takes more effort to do that than it is just to give them answers. But a strong question sticks with you. And so you want to ask conversation questions. Um, uh, so my question is you is, are, what, do you, what are your go-to questions for moving a conversation to spiritual things? When you are looking at someone and you're seeing where they're at, and you go, okay, man, I really want to help them become curious. What are the questions that you might ask? How would you go about doing it? Or rather, have we prepped for that? Or are we just hoping that in the moment I'm ready? We often rise to the level at which we have prepared. You want your friend to know Jesus? Prepare. What are some go-to ones? I, here's some ones that I, I use. Uh, do you have a spiritual background? I ask that college students all the time. What's your spiritual background? Um, guys wearing the Bible belt? That's not a hard question for them to answer. And they, what's your spiritual background? Did you grow up in church? Hey, what would you do if God showed up and gave you a miraculous sign right now? What would you do? Uh, hey, what do you think's wrong with Christianity? Tell me what you think. Uh, man, do you think uh, the world is better off with religion? Or better off without religion? What do you think life's all about? Like, what's your perspective? What do you think? What you're at the heart of what you're doing is you're getting them to talk and getting them to expose where their heart's at. So when you're giving information, you're actually not assessing where they're at. But when you're listening and you're asking questions, you're able to assess where they're at and then ask a more intentional question that's a follow-up to that. Too often in evangelism, we aren't listening we're not listeners in evangelism. We're speakers. And that's not how Jesus did it. So I would encourage you to ask questions. Uh, sometimes, though, we're afraid to ask questions. Uh, we'll use, we'll use um, an old cliche phrase that says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And we use that as a, as a crutch that we can hide behind because we just don't want to actually talk to our friends. And we need to be careful about that because a life lived out following Jesus will provoke curiosity. But we can also provoke curiosity using the words that we have. Are you prepared? I want to talk about parables and stories. Jesus used parables. And I feel like we think that parables were only for Jesus. Like unless your name's Jesus, you don't use parables. And I want to push against that and say, okay, the modern day version of parables are stories. And the modern day version of parables are you being able to read the world around you. And talk about the world around you in a spiritual manner. So let's talk about stories first. When you're talking with someone, share a story of how you've experienced God. What I didn't say was share a story of, inf I didn't say share the information you know about God. I said share a story of how you've experienced God. Here's what I've learned about a younger generation. I'm going to go millennials and Gen Zs and um, it's just young. <laughs> they respond to stories more than they respond to information. They value stories more than they value information. If you tell the gospel in story, it sticks with them. The go gone is the days of needing the information and all the cold hard facts. The present is the story. 
Can you tell the gospel in a story? What are the real life moments? This is where the parable comes in. What are the real life moments that you can actually flip to gospel conversations? I put a couple things down there. TV shows, news, sports, social media. It's amazing to me how much, if you just watch a television show, you can see the gospel or elements of brokenness weaved throughout the entire narrative. And you can pull it out. If you're watching a show with a friend, my wife and I are watching a hospital show right now. And there's an, there's an episode, I'll give you an example. There's an episode where there's this girl saying, I'm just tired of being broken. Um, I'm tired of being broken. I need to be fixed. And the doctor says, you were never broken. And imagine watching that show with a friend. And what's an easy conversation? Like, hey, do you, are you comfortable with the brokenness in your life? Do you think brokenness is meant to be there? Is everyone broken? When they respond to that, it's an opportunity to share, well, actually, I'm, I'm actually learning to become more comfortable with brokenness because broken people need Jesus. And so I'm okay being broken because of Jesus. That provokes curiosity within them. How could someone say they're okay being broken? The TV show was saying, you weren't ever broken to begin with. Don't worry about it. See, it's all throughout it. I, I, I have countless examples of this. Look for the gospel around you. Listen to the news. Listen to sports. Think about narratives. Ask questions. And lastly, I want to talk about a curious life. Jesus did this everywhere. He walked around and did things that you ain't never thought he would do. His own disciples were surprised. The way you live your life, We'll talk about it. Let's hear some practical steps of how you could do that. I put down four. I didn't use the Roman numerals, but they're one, two, three, four. So <laughs> the first one I would say is, man, can you show them biblical community? We live in a world that's isolated. It's isolation. It's every man out for himself. When you bring them into biblical community, you will provoke their curiosity. Have someone into your home and eat dinner with them. What is the place that you interact with someone in? Think about this. What's the scenery that you normally see someone? So let's say you work with someone or a college student. Let's say you have them in your class. The step that you want to take with them is you want to take that friendship out of that environment and place it in a different environment. So if I, if I can take someone that I, I work with and all of a sudden have lunch with them, I place them in a different environment. Our friendship has now developed. If I can take someone that I normally have a class with and have them over for dinner or have them over for a cup of coffee in my house and in the living room, they're sitting on my couch, I've now placed them in a different environment. And in that environment, I'm showing them community, provoke curiosity. Uh, point one, you can invite them to join you as you serve your community. Uh, I'm just going to do a plug for Mission Knack there. Uh, three, you can live out the character of Jesus. When you live out the character of Jesus... They will notice. I was talking to some friends this past weekend who do some missions uh, in New York City, and they were talking about how just simply living like Jesus provokes so much curiosity among the people they interact with. Living like Jesus. This is where I want to say some people, some of us hide behind this idea of preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We think the way that we're living our life would always point them to Jesus, but sometimes it looks a little bit like Southern hospitality. And we have to remind people that this, there's a reason behind it that's called Jesus. And then the fourth one is like keep asking questions about their life. Be, 
if you can become a student of them and learn all about them, learn about them, they will become curious. Why do you care so much? Why, why are you so invested in what's happening with my family? You've never met my family. Why do you care? Bring them into community. Serve, bring them in as you serve others. Live out the character of Jesus. So when you're thinking about provoking curiosity, I just want to remind you guys, the goal is that they become curious about Jesus. You want to point all of their attention back to Jesus. One of the most powerful weapons you have is questions. What are the questions that are in your tool belt that you can use in those moments? Are you prepared for those moments? Because those moments aren't just like this big moment and then it's done. No, this is a relationship. This is friendship. This person trusts you. Moving from complacent to curious can take a very long time. And that's okay. You keep showing up. You keep showing up. I remember what King Agrippa said to Paul. Do you all remember Paul giving his offense, giving his proclamation to Agrippa? And, and Paul says, I know you believe. Do you believe? And Agrippa says, are you trying to convince me to become a Christian right now? Are you really going to do this right now in this one day? And what does Paul say? He goes, one day, one year, today, forever, tomorrow, I don't care. I'm going to keep going. Because, yeah, I'm going to keep going. He says, I don't care how long it takes. I'll be persistent. When moving someone from complacent to curious, it'll take time. Your weapons are prayer, questions, and just living a way that provokes curiosity in their life. So have your tool belt ready. So we're going to move on to our next section, and I want to go ahead and dismiss the youth. And they're going to go ahead and go out that door. And at that time, um, Stephen, would you like to come up here for our interview? We're going to interview Stephen Shrewsbury today. And I'm really excited about this interview. I'm already wearing the headset, so I'll give you that one. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about what does it look like to develop curiosity. I'm going to have to really turn my head so I can see you guys. Well, Sydney just said I can ignore y'all, so I might do that. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what does it look like for someone to go from complacent to curious. That's the transition we're talking about, right? From complacent to curious. And, and we've talked about tonight what we can do. You know, when we're engaging someone. Steve and I are going to have a conversation about what it looks like for him on the, in, on the inward level. Um, what, what God's pursuit of someone looks like. Because even though we're often having conversations with people we can be so unaware of God's pursuit of them and what God's doing on their in individual life. So, Stephen, I feel like in order to get this conversation where it needs to be in the time that we have, I have to fast forward the first 28 years of your life. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the most broad statements of all time, you have, you find yourself rather complacent to faith, but with spiritual faith backgrounds, Mormonism, 
uh, Scientology, a lot of different background, but you found yourself eventually just complacent to faith, didn't care about faith, didn't care about Jesus. Kind of describe where you found yourself, like how would you use your own words to describe where you were in that 28, 29, 30 time? I would say hard as a rock. I had a very tough background, and my heart was literally stone. So I wasn't just complacent about faith. I was really pretty anti-religion at the time. And without Jesus, we can get pretty miserable, for those of us who maybe remember those days. And I was a miserable individual. And uh, that provoked a curiosity about how can I become less miserable than I am right now? And so I started to do what a lot of Americans do. I went to the local bookstore, and I said, I'm going to go to the self-help section because I know I can find some book that's going to help me become less miserable. And that's where I started. I went to a bookstore. I picked up a book. It was uh, written in the 1970s by a guy named Scott Peck who would, in Baptist terms, probably be considered kind of a new-agey Christian. He probably wouldn't even be... Uh, uh, somebody would, we would pay much attention to, but for me, it was huge because he wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled, and there was a section of the book called Love, and I said, that's what I need. I need to learn how to love because I had a bunch of uh, girlfriends, relationships, and I was like, this is getting old. I, I'm miserable. i got to figure out how to do this better. <laughs> and so I said, I'm buying this book because there's a third of the book is on love. And the last portion of the book, I kept reading the book, the last third of the book was on religion. And it introduced me to a term that I had no idea what this meant. Now you may say I have a background in Mormonism, and, and I did, in Scientology and cult religions, and I did, um, and I do. But I didn't know what the word grace meant at all. And that was the word that I was introduced to, this, this word called grace. And I was like, man, this is interesting. And so I, that was my curiosity, and then, and, and I just felt something pulling all through this process, and that was the Holy Spirit was basically wooing, as he does, he woos us. And uh, less than two weeks later, uh, I was called by a friend of mine at work who was a Christian. I didn't know if she was a Christian at the time, didn't care. But she was, and she had a roommate, and she said, I'll bet if you call my roommate, she'll go out with you. That roommate is my wife, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, and I called Lori up, and, uh, and we went out, and um, Lori was a born and raised. She's a born and raised Baptist, Southern Baptist, and I didn't date church girls, um, but I dated Lori. You dated out, Lori. Yeah, yeah. And on our third date, it was my 30th birthday, and uh, this was in September of that particular year, and uh, I began to start peppering her with questions. Um, this was curiosity. In fact, I would pepper her so much with questions, she'll tell you today, sometimes she would say, whoa, I'll have to get back with you on that, because I would just question, 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 question. And... Um, one of those questions was a little bit about her background, how she grew up, and I, I said, you know, I, 
I want to try one of these church things. And um, if anybody knows me, they know that um, I'm fairly driven. Yeah. And uh, there's a, I have a few people, students in the room that know that. And um, it had to be my way or the highway at that time. And lo what Lori did not do is say, well, you need to come with me to my Southern Baptist Church, and this is in Panama City, Florida. She said, okay, I'm going with you. And so we started going to different churches around town. We went to a Presbyterian church. We went to a Methodist church. Um, in October, just a few weeks after we had met, uh, I said, let's go to the Mormon church. I didn't know anything different. I said, that sounds good. I grew up in Mormonism, and so why not? Let's go check it out. And we went over to the Mormon church one Sunday morning at 11 or 12 o'clock, something like that walked up to the door of the church, and the church door was locked. It was closed. So we didn't go to the Mormon church. Well, it was closed because that was a, what in the LDS community we call the conference weekend. Every six months they have a, a conference. Everybody in the in LDS church stays home, and they watch the conference on television. That was the day that door was closed. And then the next week we went to a Southern Baptist church. It wasn't Lori's Southern Baptist church because I wasn't about to do anything that she wanted. I was only going to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> and there was a Southern Baptist church that was out two week, two blocks away from my apartment. I said, that's close and convenient for me. Let's go there. So what I love about that, because that's a ton. <laughs> what I love about that is you're, you're in this place of struggling and relationships aren't working well and and God essentially brings this book into your life and, 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 you're, and you're reading it and this curiosity happens but there's no one holding your hand necessarily through it all but just in that curiosity you begin to ask questions internally um, some to Lori and in that process you end up fueling that curiosity becoming more and more and more and more and more curious to the point where you're trying all these different churches. And then you end up at this Baptist church, and, and you've kind of shared some of this with me before, but what really helped your curiosity was being there on a Sunday morning and, and, and hearing from them. Tell, tell me a little more about that. Yeah, we started to attend regularly, not Sunday school. Uh, had no interest in a Sunday school at all, but I started attending with Lori the service every week week after week after week after week I was hearing God's word hearing God's word and week after week the pastor uh, of the church would have an invitation and he would invite people to come up and uh, to, to um, they lay their life down to repent to, to give up of themselves and to place their trust and faith in Jesus and this went on for week after week after week and I wasn't getting, it, this was a slow process, took several months. And I wasn't even convinced God existed. After weeks of this, months of this, I didn't know if God existed. And on Valentine's Day, this is the next February uh, that I was dating Lori, she gave me a C.S. Lewis book, a, a very influential book called Mere Christianity. And this book changed everything for me because C.S. Lewis convinced me that God was real. And he did it in a very rational, 
and logical way, as you mentioned, Kendall, right? That rational, for me, I was, that ration logic, uh, rationality and logic mattered. And C.S. Lewis tipped, was a tipping point for me. And then it was week after week after week until I got to the pew gripping stage. <laughs> and that was in April. And the pew gripping stage was during an invitation in the old school Baptist church. We would stand up for imitate. We have padded chairs now, but in those days you had pews and they were wood. And I would grab the back of the pew. And uh, this, hap this was for almost an entire month. I was grabbing the back of the pew. I didn't even know I was doing it. But Lori did. She, she relates how I was every week during invitation. I was like grabbing that pew. <laughs> uh, and about a month after the, the gripping stage, the pastor was providing a, a fantastic sermon about the woman with the bleeding issue. I was just so touched by Jesus' grace and his love. I was just overwhelmed and I said, okay, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this, and I said, nope, I want this. That's cool. And that was that. But it was a, it was a several month long process for me. Two things stand out to me from that, um, other than I can just imagine you doing that. <laughs> but one, God pursues you, and I think it's very, very evident, because he not only you know, brought someone in your life, but then spoke a language that you were open to, which was in books, which was through discovery. And, and he strategically gave you those books and revealed himself in those. But he also is doing this deep, deep, deep work. And so when you're listening to the sermons, there's just, you're just kind of soaking it all in. Is that, is that how you would describe yourself? Just just wanting to know more and more. And so actually being at church on Sunday mornings, you know, we think of it more on coffee shop level now, but for, for you it's Sunday morning from behind the pulpit. That was important, but I also had this girl I was dating. Yeah. And this girl I was dating seriously, and this was a Christian who was dating a non-believer. And a lot of Christians would have condemned that, and Lori lost a, a, her best friend over the fact that she was dating me. But we are convinced and we know that God's hand was in this. So Lori was there all the time and, and it was her relationship with me in allowing me to do it my way. She just let me go this way, go that way, do this, do that, do this, and she supported and just kind of went along and went along and went along. I love that. I feel like it's a perfect example of guiding our friends through this process. When someone goes from complacent to curious, we like to think they're going to go from here to here. And they'll just go, shh. They're going to be all over the map. And they actually might go back to not trusting you. <laughs> and then jump back and jump back and then jump back. And you, don't, you never know where they're going to go. But I love that picture of Lori just kind of letting you figure it out, but being right there with you as you're figuring that out. Yeah, she went right up to three weeks before we were married. Uh, that was, I was saved three weeks before we were married. And I often get asked, did you, did you become a Christian because you were going to marry Lori? And the answer is absolutely not. It had nothing to do with it. I get asked that question a lot, but it wasn't the timing. It was God's timing. It was 
my acceptance, and three weeks later, we had a wonderful Christian marriage. That's cool. That's cool. Well, so I just hope the story of Stephen encourages you guys because God's doing a work in your friend's life that you don't see. Um, it was a hidden work. It was an invisible work that maybe one or two people saw, but a lot of people didn't get a chance to see unless you stood there and saw him gripping the pew. But a lot of people didn't get a chance to see that. And so God's doing it in a hidden work, and we can be alongside them, helping them in that process, um, bringing out curiosity. Um, and curiosity is a good thing. So, yeah, uh, let's, let's give it up for Stephen. Yeah. So I want to create just a little bit of space for us, for us to write some questions down. Um, as you've thought through the lesson today, or maybe there's a, a giant, just overwhelming, here's what I took away point. There's a smaller sheet that I think everyone should have got as a part of their notes. If you have a question and you want to jot this down, um, and if you don't have one, Caleb's right here in the middle, um, and he can give you one. But if you have a question, I want you to jot that down. And then we've got a cool little fish bowl in the back. Now, there's no goldfish. It's empty. You can put your papers in it. And just write down your questions. And let's just take a minute or two to do that um, while you write some questions. Blake's going to play some music while we write some questions. You can also drop them out on your way out, which apparently is what I was supposed to say. <laughs> Getting little baseball cues from Kendall in the back. I think I'm supposed to steal third. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I want to I wanna end with one more thing. Um, we started off last week talking about mapping out the people in our life. Who are the people that we're intersecting, uh, our, just re who we're coming in contact with, places we work, places we play, the places we frequent, the hobbies we have, and you wrote down some names. And, and what I would really encourage you guys to do, and Kendall mentioned this earlier, begin to think about what threshold they're in. Is there anyone that you've developed trust with? Is there anyone that is actually curious? They're curious right now. Or is there someone who's complacent? Uh, and we'll begin to think more about those things. Are they seeking? Are they open to change? Are they ready to hear the gospel and to respond in faith? And begin to just kind of Realize which threshold where your friends are. What that will do is that will allow you to know how to more strategically engage with them. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, you're able to more intentionally interact with them based upon where they're at. So I want to spend uh, the rest of tonight just in prayer for one person that you have regular contact with. And, and so here's what I would just challenge you guys with. If you could turn to a neighbor and just say, Hey, here's the person in my life. Uh, I think they might be in this stage. Will you pray with me for them? And then have your neighbor do the same. And then just, guys, let's just pray together. Uh, and I'll, I'll close us with prayer. We'll do this for a couple minutes, and I'll end up closing us. Um, but just find, find a partner, find a person next to you, and just share who the people are, and just spend a couple moments in prayer. Is that cool? Does that make sense? This is the part where you go like this. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just go into prayer. Turn to your neighbor, say who the friend's name is, and let's, let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the people that you have brought into our life. Um, not just the people that you've brought into our life, but the people that you've brought into our friends' lives. 
Father, I pray that we'd be diligent to pray, not just for those who are in our life, but for those that are in their life, that we would carry the burden with them together as a team, as a family. Father, I've realized the more and more that I, I talk to people who don't know you that the journey from complacent to curious has to happen from you. So God, we ask that you would move our friends to curiosity. And God, we would be delighted to be involved in that process. Father, may we be ready. Will you give us wisdom in the moment of how to ask good questions, how to tell stories? Can we see the world around us in a way that provokes intrigue that we can then share with them and say, what do y'all think about this? How do you relate to this? God, may we care about them so much that we're more intrigued by asking than always informing. Um, So we ask this in your name. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming out. Go ahead and drop out your questions in the back and uh, see if there's any more veggies. Go. Have a great night. (laughs) 